0: Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian, joined by Scott McNear. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here again. We're back with another episode of The Basin Breakdown. As you know, this is a podcast that revisits some of the largest news for the previous month, so this is the episode for March 2023. I think you guys recognize the format otherwise, and I don't have too much else housekeeping to get into. So we're just going to start. Scott, where are we headed first?
1: You know, let's uh let's do what we normally do and hit the DJ Niobrara area. Um, getting right into it, Occidental budgets hundreds of millions of dollars more towards Colorado oil production in the Rockies business unit, which is primarily focused on the DJ Basin in Colorado. Occidental Petroleum intends to spend seven hundred to eight hundred million on oil drilling and operations this year, twenty twenty three. That is. The increase is the result of having plenty of drilling permits in Colorado, as well as optimism in its ability to get more approved. In the first half of 2023, Oxy will be able to complete and put into production a greater number of new wells thanks to the presence of two active drilling rigs. At least 90 new wells are expected to be finished in the region by 2023's year end, according to Occidental, which is an increase of 20 new wells over its previous prediction. I mean, I don't know what you think, Tavis, but... uh, It's good that they're continuing to drill in a state that has been increasing its regulatory uh, overbearing rules here lately. So I'm glad that that they're continuing to improve on their capital plan.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's always easier to just work with whatever you have grandfathered in at that point. But the fact that we're seeing growth and not just companies paying down on debt is inspiring. And hopefully we see that trend continue. For our next article... Why Governor Polis's ozone crackdown could spur a debate over new oil and gas permits. After Governor Jared Polis ordered state agencies to reduce emissions by 30% by 2025 and 50% by 2050, Colorado Clean Air activists are hurrying to finish a plan to mitigate the oil and gas industry's contribution to front-range ozone pollution. The main source of ozone-forming substances in the region is believed to come from the oil and gas sector, which is said to produce more nitrogen oxide than all vehicles in the state combined. The governor's ozone plan's objectives, according to Colorado Oil and Gas Association President Dan Haley, are challenging. But he said oil and gas companies have the best chance of succeeding if they meet them. And a lot of this is, I don't want to say twisting of statistics, but I was looking actually last week at a bunch of different activist websites and especially... One group in uh, Commerce City that does not like the Suncor refinery, but yes, the industry does contribute to a lot, but it's a matter of, remember, scope, scope one, scope two, yeah. scope three. It seems like it, it gets expanded pretty far to even just the consumer burning the gasoline. So, yeah, there's always going to be an impact as you look at emissions for using carbons, but these websites got into really crazy things like uh, fracking contributes to more wildfires and like really stretched it out. So I do understand that people want to protect these things, but I just feel like this is something that's going to be on the table for probably forever as people stretch and massage statistics, either which way.
1: And you know, Tavis, the the industry itself in Colorado has gotten a lot better over the last decade or so, five to 10 years. I would think um, mm. just with the way that they're designing facilities now and meeting the, the quad OA uh, EPA regulations. And I think that, even though these statistics may be a little bit skewed to, to favor the argument that Polis is trying to do with these, these emissions reductions, um, the industry is making progress on, on getting better about their, their emissions overall. Next, uh, let's move to another article in Colorado here. Colorado oil and gas companies offer $459 million to guarantee their wells are plugged eventually. Large Colorado oil and gas companies have offered a sum of $459 million in well-plugging guarantees to meet the state's new standards for orphan wells. However, this is far less than the COGCC was targeting. Smaller operators, on the other hand, are offering even less money to cover their abandonment costs and have only agreed to contribute 14% of the $360 million estimate for abandonment expenses. Operators have pledged to plug and abandon their wells in the state over the course of the next seven years with 1,800 wells on the list for plugging and 4,600 wells slated for plugging and reclamation. And, I mean, this is something that the state's been pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, bonds probably have been low. I know that historically, <laughs> in most states, actually, the bonds that were set in, like, the 80s or the 50s or whenever they were uh-huh. set, like, it didn't – it a lot of them didn't increase over time, but at the same time, it does seem like the state is using the bonds sometimes to try to squeeze people out of the industry as well. So it's a double-edged sword, I guess.
0: Exactly. I, I do want to see updated regulations, so the rules from the 40s are not always going to be as effective in present day, but the thing I worry about is the smaller operators. Sure, your oxys, your large operators, they can probably put a little bit of this money forward. But if you're going to mid-cap and small companies and saying, hey, we need you to have even 50% of abandonment costs for every well, whatever you estimate, that's that's a tall order to ask. So I hope that we can find some balance, even if it's just a sliding scale through time. I mean, California does a decent job, not specifically with the bonding on abandonments, but with how they deal with soon to be orphaned or potential orphan wells but this is all things that i imagine we'll be sorting through for the next decade or so and our last story for this basin a proposed utah railway could quadruple oil production in the uinta basin the uinta basin railway would link northeastern utah and northwestern colorado oil resources to the national rail network enabling a fourfold increase in crude oil output The Uinta Basin's oil and gas production has contributed to some of the worst air pollution in the state, which has sparked resistance to the project. The project's environmental concerns have been exaggerated, and the Surface Transportation Board's EIS is currently being contested in court. Some say a leak of oil into the Colorado River, which provides water to 40 million people and has already been dry for 20 years, might be catastrophic. While others argue the waxy crude will be simpler to clean up than other spills. And either way, I'm, I'm really just surprised they haven't considered pipelines if they're worried about spills. Rails in the mountains? Come on.
1: I know you and I are on the same page with this one, Tavis. Like the, the the amount of spills that we see on those pipelines are, are way less, and, and maybe it's a right away thing. The railway, obviously, would prefer to have it railed than uh, have a pipeline uh, take the revenue away from them. But, uh, you know, I, it's an interesting, uh, interesting development that I'm surprised uh, as well that they decided to, to go, especially in some of those areas where it can be treacherous in the wintertime. Yes. That's all we've got for Colorado. Let's, let's move on to the south and hit up the Scoop Stack in Oklahoma. Oil and gas production taxes fuel record for collections in Oklahoma. Oklahoma has experienced a record-breaking surge in collections of oil and gas production taxes. This surge in revenue is a result of the thriving energy industry in the state, which has helped boost Oklahoma's economy. Through February of last year, tax collections were $17.62 billion, an increase of 12.9% over the same time last year. For the first time, taxes on the gross output of oil and gas exceeded $2 billion. Oklahoma's economy is thriving due to high petroleum prices and low unemployment, despite inflationary pressures.
0: I don't know too much about the Oklahoma environment, but are they doing better in terms of labor? I mean, I I didn't know they were experiencing low unemployment because it seems like everywhere else you go, service companies just can't pay someone enough to keep them around. So, hey, good for them. But again, that last sentence hit the Nail right on the head. This is a result of high prices, so won't be forever lived. But either way, next article. The Ways and Means Committee listens to working Americans' struggles in Biden's economy. In order to hear from working Americans on the state of the American economy, the Ways and Means Committee hosted its second field hearing, where citizens voiced alarm over the president's spending limits, which would increase taxes on top of the cost of goods hike. Lower taxes are... Better for everyone, according to Joe Pervetti, owner of a small drilling oil firm. Joe talked about how tough it's been to launch and maintain a small business given the state of the economy and how difficult it has been to locate full time staff as well as contract workers for the many aspects of the business. Joe and others are pleading with Congress to grant them permissions to carry on operating their family owned companies and to support American workers who are still physically able to do so. So I guess that kind of touches on my question from the last article. Not everyone's able to find labor and support.
1: Yeah, it seems like uh, some of the Oklahoma residents are, are not super enthralled with um, the way that inflation has affected their state, as well as other things in the policies that uh, Biden's administration has been pushing out. And before anybody says to themselves, wait a second, this uh, this doesn't have to do with the scoop or the stack. The reason why we threw this one into that area is because the Ways and Means Committee held that hearing in Yukon, Oklahoma, and listened to working Oklahomas in that area. So, um, I mean, it's good that they're giving their voices to a committee that hopefully passes that along to the federal government, and uh, we'll see, I guess, if the federal government listens to what they have to say. But let's hit our last article in Oklahoma in the Scoop Stack, Tavis, and that is the question, is Oklahoma's fight against pro-environmental policies hurting business recruitment? Republican lawmakers in Oklahoma are fighting against programs that encourage investments in renewable energy in an effort to save the state's oil and gas industry and resist, quote, woke ideology. However, a lot of environmental measures that Oklahoma opposes are supported by the same international firms that the state is actively wooing with millions in tax breaks. Republican lawmakers and Governor Kevin Stitt, authorized a prohibition on state investments in businesses that support ESG last year. State Treasurer Todd Russ has sent letters to 160 businesses, giving them until April 1st to affirm they do not, quote, boycott energy companies, end quote. Democrats attributed Oklahoma's struggle to draw major firms to conservative policies and politicians, while Stitt denied the notion that this was the case because of Oklahoma's anti-ESG attitude. I don't know what you think, Tavis.
0: I guess it all seems kind of ridiculous to me. Don't get me wrong. I believe this popped off just after the time. Well, Texas was dealing with some of it, too. But companies going, no, we don't want to do business with you because you are oil and gas. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, that's their right to do so. That is just kind of how the free market works. So policies like this, I don't get it. And I can see how some of the other politicians would say, oh, but Tulsa was going to be the place where Tesla built a new factory and that didn't happen. So uh, I'm confused. I don't know where I sit on this, but it does seem like a whole lot of busy work for a whole lot of nothing.
1: Yeah, I agree. A lot of paperwork by April 1st. And at at the end of the day, you know, you kind of can't be, can't be mad at the, at the law that says you can't have ESG when you don't get a, a renewable (laughs) energy thing showing up in your,
0: in your city. Exactly. But that wraps up all we've got for that Oklahoma area. And now we bring it back west to California, where Governor Gavin Newsom signs a gas price gouging law. The big news in California this month is that the country's strictest state-level regulations for big oil have been put in place due to legislation that Governor Newsom has signed. A new bill allows the California Energy Commission, the CEC, to establish a fine to hold the oil sector responsible and establishes a dedicated, independent watchdog to investigate price gouging by oil firms on a daily basis. 91 days following the signing of the bill, the law will become effective. The governor has been challenging the energy sector on several occasions for prioritizing money over people and has now put the pen to paper and, hey, all the power to them. With something like this, maybe it really illuminates to the state why their prices are so high, why certain chemical additives and summer blends and importing of other energy just to make this stuff is really driving their domestic market price up.
1: I like your optimism, Tavis. (laughs) I really do. Unfortunately, I think that it's going to go the other way it's it seems like just more the same of making more oversight committees to oversee various aspects of the state's processes that's going to end up hurting the consumer and hurting the oil company and hurting everybody except for the people working within those organizations within the the government organizations but is. what's
0: driving it Is it the bad taste of Enron and Newsoms South or is it just trying to look good in front of constituents
1: I think it's it's the latter. <laughs> That's the attitude. So I think that's that's his his the way that he's going to run with it. Mm -hmm. But speaking of constituents in California, this next article says with California oil production at risk, referendum gives voters a say. Voters in California will decide in 2024 whether the state should expand its reliance on imported oil or keep producing oil while adhering to the strictest labor, environmental and health regulations in the world. Some argue that oil produced in California is the only petroleum in the world that complies with the state's climate restrictions, but imported oil is not subject to these rules. If 15,500 current California wells are shut in and the supply is switched to imported oil, gasoline prices there will rise. Over the past 10 years, California's need for petroleum has continuously climbed. In 2024, Californians will decide whether to make the change to imported oil or continue production in the state. And this is a uh, interesting, I guess, precedent if it does pass. Uh should be, again, talking about prices rising. It mm-hmm. definitely will.
0: And that might be enough of an incentive to get people to vote that way. I mean, the cost of living has already gone up so much there, especially in L.A. But then again, I feel like L.A. is going to be one of those areas that says, no, not in my backyard, whether that's your wealthy and living in the hills and don't want to see it or on the other end of the spectrum and don't want to live next to it i think it's going to come down to kern county and everywhere in between there and san francisco to really push this but uh it's going to be a fun election cycle
1: i mean another factor i guess will happen what gasoline prices does there between now and 2024 because that might be a an influence on people's Hmm. decision making based on uh what they see gasoline doing after they implement that. Oh,
0: but this is big oil g- price gouging us at the pump. <laughs> There's no winning. Yeah, you're probably right. Next, the CPPIB, or the Ca- Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, says stake in California oil and gas producer fits its ESG plan. For well under $400 million, the CPPIB recently acquired a 49% share in Era Energy LLC, the second largest oil and gas producer in California. Despite talk about California's oil fields being easily accessible and inexpensive, some say they are also mature and will eventually begin to dry up. By continuing to fulfill California's conventional energy needs while expanding carbon capture and storage along with a portfolio of renewable energy sources, the partners want to make era carbon neutral in 10 years cppib a heavy investor in climate sustainable projects has stated that although the era deal has been opposed by some as counterproductive to their sustainability mantra it meets their climate goals and hey that's just a lot of money and even if it didn't meet their climate mantra so to speak i imagine they'd probably find a way to invest in it anyways but it's nice to have some ccus projects to justify it
1: i mean the real the real thing that i see out of this story is that uh the cppib sees that uh energy prices are going to continue to rise and they want to get in now because that'll help fund their pension at the same time if they can make an argument for the esg they'll they'll honestly probably do what they did the last time that uh that a bunch of canadian pension plans had oil and gas companies in their portfolio and when times go bad they'll just complain about it it and get mad at oil and gas again (laughs) but uh Hopefully it works out for them, and hopefully ERA does meet the climate goals that they're hoping for. Um, I personally think that uh, they'll probably stick with developing oil and gas, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. The last article that we have for California says shipping companies have reached a $97 million settlement in California for an oil spill agreement. A group of shipping companies have reached a settlement agreement of $97 million with the state of California in relation to the 2021 oil spill incident in Southern California. The spill occurred when a pipeline used to transfer crude from ships to trucks ruptured, resulting in hundreds of barrels of oil spilling into the Pacific Ocean. The settlement will be used to fund restoration and improvement projects in the affected areas of California's coastline, and the agreement also includes measures to improve safety protocols and spill response procedures to the shipping industry. And, Tavis, after you and I kind of talked about this, I mean, this was that big spill off the coast of California where an an anchor – Yeah, I believe so. An anchor dragged across the pipeline and ruptured, and it really wasn't the pipeline's company, so much as Mm. all the – the ships that were just moored out there, you know, out on the horizon waiting to unload that got the pipeline. Wonder I uh, wonder if they also got fined for this or if it was just the oil pipeline.
0: Yeah, it looks like it was the shipping companies that agreed in the settlement, but how do you divvy that up? Because as far as I can recall, it was really tough to say, oh, yeah, maybe it was an anchor. Oh, yeah, everyone's passing through here every day. We have to really going to scrutinize this maritime data, so... I mean, it's just another way for Huntington Beach to make a whole lot of money. Not that it was a free incident to take care of, but hopefully everything is uh, back to being friendly again.
1: Yeah, and the, those uh, new pro- procedures and protocols in place make it, make it a faster cleanup if it ever happens again, which hopefully it doesn't. But
0: Yeah, um, knock on wood. Yeah. Next up, the Marcellus. Pennsylvania wants to regulate carbon dioxide storage wells. Pennsylvania is now making moves towards controlling carbon dioxide injection wells and maybe all injection wells inside its borders. As a result, the state would be in charge of approving and monitoring a sector that has not yet been created, but is one of the most talked about aspects of the energy transition. Companies have indicated an interest in creating carbon injection wells, including Shell and Archaea Energy Incorporated. The state is also thinking about requesting prioritization over other kinds of federally regulated injection wells, such as geothermal wells, enhanced recovery wells, and wells used to dispose of oil and gas effluent. Control over these wells will give the state more freedom to put them where they deem best, as well as use them in any way that will serve the state best.
1: Well, you know, I'm surprised they don't have more regulations on this. I suppose that... uh... Since Pennsylvania and the Marcellus is such a gas-rich basin, you probably wouldn't have been injecting CO2 into those wells at any point like you would for a, a flood in the Permian or somewhere else um, because that would taint the the methane and other gas being produced. You'd have to pull that. If you wanted to produce it, you'd have to pull that CO2 back out of your gas stream. But, I mean, as, as more and more... People are looking for these subsurface reservoirs to store CO2 rather than to to flood or EOR produce with it. Um, I could see this being a a great place to do it since, you know, what's a better reservoir to put gas in than a gas reservoir? Our next article, Tavis, is uh, about Governor Shapiro backing, quote, hydrogen hubs in Pennsylvania and boosting the plugging and abandonment effort for orphaned oil and gas wells. In a recent state budget speech, Governor Josh Shapiro emphasized a few energy and environmental measures such as the establishment of a, quote, regional hydrogen hub, end quote, and the capping of existing oil and gas wells. To promote the use of renewable energy and stop climate change, the H2 Hubs effort, apparently is what it's called, intends to establish a network of infrastructure, customers, and hydrogen producers. More than 400 million dollars would be potentially given to Pennsylvania over a 10-year period to plug wells. Shapiro initially brought attention to Pennsylvania's 26,000 abandoned oil and gas wells after arguing a connection between them and the weather negatively affecting agriculture in the area. And for the record, when they say abandoned, I think that technically means orphaned. I'm assuming, um, maybe not, but uh, but I don't, I don't know.
0: And also, he's taking leaps and bounds to establish some sort of connection. I mean, the weather and nearby orphan wells. If you read into the article, we did check it out. There's also connections between the Norfolk Southern incident and the fear connected to, I don't know, potential environmental mishaps with oil and gas, so... Just seems like the governor here is looking to maybe crack down a little bit more on what he perceived as too loose of environmental policy.
1: Well, the other thing, Tavis, is that it's in a budget speech, so he's he's <laughs> pitching he's pitching for the environmental budget to not get slashed. It sounds like, and maybe people listened to it, maybe they didn't. Um, I guess uh, I guess we'll see. But uh, yeah, they're going to have a, a long road ahead if they want to do all that in hydrogen uh, produ- production in that area as mm-hmm. well. So. Um. We'll have to see see if they get their funding.
0: In our last article, for the region, Pennsylvania posts largest annual decline in natural gas production. The most significant year-over-year fall in Pennsylvania's natural gas output since production data gathering began was recorded in the fourth quarter of 2022 when it fell by 5.1%. Despite horizontal producing wells, which account for 99% of the production, picking up throughout 2022, output decrease. Why? Well... NGI market analyst Josiah Kleindienst noted, quote, the four largest publicly traded U.S. producers saw a discernible decrease in fourth quarter production, end quote. He also stated that, quote, all four cited takeaway capacity constraints is the main reason for reducing production overall in Appalachia, end quote. The recent drop in gas prices also deterred producers from ramping up output. And I don't know who's paying this man, but I would really agree with that last sentence more. Yeah, sure, the company's are decreasing their production but it's because prices went from so high to almost two dollars flat in that time period
1: yeah you're probably right tavis and i mean it's probably gonna carry forward into q1 of 2023 as well with the prices that they, we've been seeing so far this year but uh you know the the takeaway constraints that's a big issue uh like you said it was so high in the summer and then people started shutting in when they became an uneconomic again so that's just, that's just how that goes. That's, uh, that's probably cause and effect that's pretty easy to draw the lines between. Mm-hmm. Let's move down to Texas now. Hit the Permian Basin. American Petroleum Institute president and CEO speaks on the Permian Basin. Mike Summers, current president and CEO of the American Petroleum Institute, said in a recent interview that the Permian Basin is, quote, one of the most important parts of the world right now, end quote. Citing the strategic value of the American energy independence and how that is predicated largely on the Permian Basin production, Mr. Summers explained the need for civilian infrastructure upgrades in the area in order to help attract and retain a skilled workforce to operate West Texas oil fields. And I mean, I don't think that this is really a surprise to anybody that the Permian is blowing and going again. Mm. Um, they're very active again right now, and they do need more more labor, more more help with their infrastructure, especially in West Texas where it's so barren and hard to, hard to build fast enough to meet the amount of production that's being drilled out there.
0: Just goes to show that labor shortages are a common thread that sort of tie all of these basins together right now. Next up, Texas youth organizers take aim at the biggest oil field in the U.S., Youth climate activists in El Paso have assisted in putting forth a municipal measure to ban the use of municipally controlled water for hydraulic fracturing operations outside of the city's limits. Other concurrent legislation is advocating for the more rapid purchase of solar and wind infrastructure near El Paso in conjunction with the city's goal to derive 80% of its electricity from carbon-free sources by 2030. The article cites a survey that concludes that in 2019, 72% million gallons of fresh water were used in the texas side of the permian basin for hydraulic fracturing operations a 2400 percent rise from 2010 now that's that statistic's going to look huge because i mean that's pre frack boom but either way that is a lot of water to take away from a municipality so i don't see anything wrong with this and i mean we could probably do better at building again infrastructure out there to better process and recycle already produced fluids to go back into the ground so seems like things are progressing as they should. Yeah, and I
1: mean uh let's not forget that this statistic in the rise of of water used was the whole Permian Basin, not just from El Paso's <laughs> water uh system, but I it is hard to the water's not cheap out there. That's for sure. And uh if you're using that much water at the expense of uh cities and and residents, especially uh, you know, the the cities that maybe are a little bit more uh strapped for cash or a little bit less bustling. Um it can, it can make a big deal. We'll see if, uh, we'll see if they get that passed because that could have a pretty big impact on some of the companies that are operating right outside of El Paso. But anyway, let's move to our next article where activity stalls in top U.S. oil fields and outlook sours, according to a Fed survey. Activity in the Permian Basin and other major American oil fields has and may continue to slacken. With the recent collapse of natural gas prices from $7 per MCF to $2 an MCF and the oil prices dipping into the $70 per barrel region, income has been reduced considerably for many companies. Additionally, nearly all of the oil field cost inputs have continued to get more expensive with average capex per well increasing again for the ninth straight quarter in the Permian. That's a big one. Yeah, that is a big one. I will say um, this article did come out before uh, Saudi did their did their announcement on, uh, on, on oil output. So, you know, prices are not necessarily dipping into the $70 barrel per region right now, but, uh, but, uh, but natural gas sure has, uh, remained pretty flat since this article came out. And I think that the Permian Basin is still going to continue to try to produce this, but like you said, the CapEx and the cost of labor is what's really going to be your mm-hmm. pinch point along with, uh, takeaway and any other regulations on flaring and that kind of thing
0: yeah with costs increasing nine straight quarters you can also be sure that profits weren't increasing for nine straight quarters so that's going to continue to produce a considerable strain and could grow in the future we'll just have to wait and see our last article for the permian many worry that companies are flouting new mexico's landmark gas flaring rules Michelle Lujan Grisham, the governor of New Mexico, has championed regulations to reduce routine flaring in New Mexico. Under her administration, the New Mexico Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resource Department created a rule that operators must achieve a 98% gas capture rate by 2026. Another goal that has been implemented is reducing New Mexico's GHG emissions by 45% by 2030, an action that will require the participation of New Mexico's oil and gas industry. And that's pretty par for the course. Well, okay, maybe not. You have regions like California and Colorado already pushing regulations like that. But I, I just think that's going to be essentially standard all across the country the further we get into this.
1: Yeah, and I think that, um, like you said, across the country, Colorado, California, New Mexico, all these these states that have implemented these uh, more stringent flaring rules uh, compared to, say, Texas or Oklahoma, um, they're going to start cracking down on this a lot harder than they have been uh, leading into the pandemic, because a lot of these rules were put in place in 2019, beginning of 2020, and they haven't either had the manpower on the, the state or regulatory environment level to enforce them, or they've been given people, it seems, a bit of a pass up until this point. But more and more, we're seeing articles that uh, the states are starting to crack down a lot on on these types of, of requirements that they've implemented let's go to the other part of Texas, Tavis. Let's hit up the Eagleford. Absolutely. All right. Canada's Baytex adding Eagleford heft in $2.5 billion Ranger oil acquisition. Canadian oil and gas firm Baytex Energy Corporation has agreed to purchase Ranger Oil Corp for $2.5 billion. Baytex has identified 741 net undrilled locations, giving them an additional inventory life of 12 to 15 years. The new acreage lies largely in Gonzales and Lavaca counties, northeast of the existing Baytex acreage found mostly in Carnes County. With the Heritage, Baytex, and Ranger assets, Baytex expects to produce 155,000 to 160,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day at the close of the sale. 75% of this production is oil, while the remaining 25% is natural gas liquids and natural gas. So that's a big deal. That's a big move for them. I mean, I it's, we had
0: one last month too, right? Are we getting into acquisition season for the Eagleford?
1: Yeah, it seems like there's been quite a few. I think we've got some other ones coming up as well. So it should be interesting uh, to see if that continues or if uh, you know people made their moves and now are just going to hope <laughs> that the gas prices climb back up.
0: Well, this next article addresses that speculation. A frenzy of Eagleford M&A continues as e enter, expand, or exit. A flurry of Eagleford m activity has taken place in recent months with Chesapeake continuing the piecemeal sale of its oilier Eagleford assets, UK-based Ineos arrival into the basin, Canada's Baytex Energy purchasing Ranger, and Spanish Repsol's purchase of Japanese Inpex assets. In the latter part of 2022, we observed Marathon Oil's purchase of Ensign Natural Resources, Eagleford assets, Devon's purchase of Validus Energy, and dozens of smaller acreage swaps and small-cap acreage purchases. And, I mean, I think all of the news we have for the Eagleford this month continues to build off of these m as but uh, yeah, at least that's say, better than nothing like we had through 2020.
1: Yeah, it's, it's good that there's some activity finally happening, and uh, this next article rolls right into the one that you just said as far as uh, smaller swaps and small-cap purchases. Uh, Carrier Energy Partners 2 sells Eagleford assets. Carrier Energy Partners 2 has recently sold its non-operated working interest position in Carnes County for $145 million to an undisclosed buyer in an all-cash deal. The deal is the latest of three sales, the others, in 2017 and 2019, and marks the full divestiture of Carrier Energy's position in South Texas. The firm was founded in 2013 with equity funding from Riverstone Holdings, an investment firm that focuses on the energy sector, so... I mean, you know, at some point, those, those private equity backers, they want to close those funds, and that's just what happens, and it looks like it was time for Carrier Energy to do it, and hopefully they, they got the price they wanted, and everyone's happy in this deal.
0: And that rounds up all of the news we have from Texas. So now we have to take it to the second-to-last basin, the Powder River. Feds are seeking public input on pending oil and gas lease sales. After a tumultuous season of start and stop lease sales in Wyoming through last year, I believe, a number of federal parcels will again be up for auction. Minimum bid amounts, minimum rentals, and minimum royalties have all been increased by the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Critics of the latest lease sale point to local sage grouse and big game habitat concerns, saying that the latest bid round will cover lands heavily populated with sensitive fauna. The BLM tentatively plans to offer up 371 parcels spanning just shy of 400,000 acres, and I already have a bad feeling about this. Wyoming hasn't had luck in the past few years. I don't think this one's going to have a lot of luck.
1: I agree with you, Tavis. This this whole we've we've covered so many of these articles about for sale, nobody bought it. One person wasn't high enough, etc. It just seems to be rinse and repeat at this point. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for uh, for someone to to come in and actually bid on something seriously on these lease sales, but uh, it's it's not going to take current oil prices, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. The next article states EOG Resources trumpets optimistic outlook for natural gas oil volumes. EOG, which posted phenomenal Q4 and 2022 year-end results, cited strong natural gas prices with steady operations as reasons for an exceptional year. Average natural gas prices were 49% higher than the previous year and crude was 42% higher. EOG's natural gas production increased four percent over that time period as well. EOG is one of the leading producers in the Powder River Basin and has commented on its ambitions for higher production footprint in the basin. And I don't know I don't know much about their acreage position to be honest, Tavis, but maybe they could buy some federal lease acreage from the article before.
0: Maybe. Next, gas field driller may fail to reach deadline to be successful. Athon Energy, operator of 327,645-acre Moneta Divide Coalbed Methane Field, is seeking permits for new wastewater injection system that will allow for the continued development of the field. The EPA has set up the permit approval process, in the eyes of Representative Lloyd Larsent of Lander, Wyoming, unduly. Critics of the Marlin Well Wastewater Disposal System say that the well disposes into the Amston and Madison formations that are both known to have potable water. Have you seen this in the past? I mean, uh, there's lots of reservoirs that do have drinking water, but this ties into the universal source of drinking water, stuff like that, and I don't have a ton of experience there.
1: You know, Tevis, I don't have that much experience working with the EPA either. Um, it seems like they're kind of dragging their feet on this process since, uh, they have some new regulations coming out on water disposal in 2024, but and at the same time, the state of Wyoming has recommended that this be approved. So it it seems a little bit of a tug of war on the the state and the federal level, which isn't anything new for Wyoming. Hmm. Unfortunately, you know the uh, the producer is the one that's really getting uh, getting the hard the hard end of the stick on this because they they can't move forward with their project and they. Essentially going to run out of money type of
0: thing. Yep. And if we get any more news on this, you can be sure to come here to hear the updates. But that brings us to the last basin of the podcast, the Williston, where people claim oil production is back on track. Extreme weather in late Q4 2022 and early January of 2023 caused a considerable impingement on North Dakota oil and gas production. Production across the basin averaged 957,864 barrels per day in December and averaged just over a million in January, which is a 10% increase. 96% of the state's production was from the Bakken and Three Forks formation, much of which covers the northwestern corner of the state, which saw sub-zero temperatures for weeks at a time and abnormal volumes of snow this winter, and I do not envy any of the people who are working up there.
1: No, it's good to hear that the production's back on track, and uh, you know that's it's good for the state. It's good for the operators up there. It's good for you know the environment in a way, so that you don't have wellheads freezing up and pipelines rupturing and facilities overflowing or freezing. Uh, it's it's nice to see that they're uh, they're getting back into the normal groove of day to day operations. Moving on to another article, North Dakota's future is in coal, but not for the usual reason. John Kay, an engineer at the Energy and Environmental Research Center at the North Dakota University campus in Grand Forks, North Dakota, is evaluating the commercial viability of rare earth deposits in the western part of the state. These deposits are very near the old coal and oil fields in the area, and significant quantities of rare earth metals are found in shaley benches and even within the coal seams in western North Dakota. So I don't know exactly what they're going to be doing with these rare earth deposits. Is it, uh, is it energy related? Is it uh, manufacturing for, for batteries or something to What do you think?
0: I have no clue. I don't have a whole lot under my belt in terms of knowledge and coal and coal processing and what it affords. But Hey, at the end of the day, it is a valid energy source. So who knows? Maybe these can be recycled and maybe we get lucky and it's the new rare earth basin for the United States. Time will tell. But, Folks, that is the end of this episode. Now, quick shout-out to the Wacky World of Energy segment. Anthony and I have a new studio set up. Our other episode was actually released the day of recording this podcast, so it is definitely out by the time you listen to this. You can find it on YouTube to see that new studio, or if you'd rather, you can continue to just listen. But I encourage you to check out YouTube. It's a bit more fun. Otherwise, the interns continue to produce a lot of other content, the turns, I should say, regardless of where they're located in the world, whether that be Utah, Canada, Saudi Arabia. They're traveling, but they're putting together a lot of good stuff. All of this content is free. All you have to do is subscribe. And I think that's all the housekeeping I've got. Scott, anything else?
1: Nope, I hope you enjoyed this month, and I'm looking forward to a lot more news for April as well.
0: Absolutely. This has been Tavis Killian and Scott McNear with Rare Petro. And until we see you next time,